Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs... Of any kind, whether you're looking to build a dream house in the country, buy a piece of recreational property, or you are a farmer with financing needs, let Mississippi Land Bank help you. You can find their branch locations all across North Mississippi on the website. And really, it's easy because there's a Mississippi Land Bank location close to you. Their corporate office is in Senatobia, Locations in Clarksdale, Kosciuszko, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, Starville, and Louisville. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Feels like things have calmed down a little bit on a Tuesday. Depending on where you are, you may have had snow today. I know you had it in North Mississippi in Oxford, where, uh, where Rippy and I are. Any snow in Jackson today, Borky? My guess is no. No, just light rain. I got you. That's less fun, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Nothing fun happens down here. You guys get all the cool stuff. All the cool stuff. There you go. Um, yeah, it was a, it was good snow. It was pretty snow for a while, and you had like some grassy areas where it was sticking a little bit. Nothing to the on the roads. Uh, there were a couple of maybe more than a couple of school districts that let out early in North Mississippi, and I always chuckle a little about that. It's like, really. You're getting out of school early for this. It's not sticking to anything, but uh, I guess safety is the uh, most important issue there. So uh, keep everybody safe and um, get a little bit of uh, an extra time off, a little extra time off on a Tuesday. Borky, what's up today? Well, not a whole lot. As you mentioned, things really kind of calmed down, but this is the time of year where, especially in college football, all the only news you get is like, Oh, here's the All-American team, and here's the All-SEC team, and coaching search stuff. But the dynamic that we've got in the SEC now is fascinating to me. With the type of personalities that we have. I mean, even the guy at Arkansas, which uh, people are not reacting favorably to the press conference, myself included. Yes, sir! Yeah, I mean, that guy's a Have you seen that video? Yeah, he's just a complete goofball. And so we've got that guy, and now we've got Lane Kiffin and Jimbo Fisher talking a 1,000 miles per hour. Jimbo Fisher talks like you're listening to a podcast on two times speed. I I mean, all of the different (laughs) personalities, and I mean, now we're bringing back Mike Bobo to South Carolina. We're bringing Chad Morris to Auburn. It's 
more interesting at the coaching position in the SEC than it has been since Steve Spurrier and Brett Bielema were in the league. Yeah, when you look across the SEC, and it's really not just in football. I mean, obviously we're focused on football right now. You know, do, do you have the personalities? Obviously there's no Steve Spurrier, and nobody will ever be able to replicate what Steve Spurrier did. But when you kind of bounce around the league, I mean, Nick Saban, not a ton of personality, but the greatest of all time, so there's that. Arkansas with Sam Pittman, and we we might play that for you earlier. It's a minute-long montage of... So, so, like, every coach in every school has a little bit of a shtick that they go with when they get a new commitment, because you can't actually say who the kid is when they just commit. But, what, I mean, you've had... Yahtzee and what is it? Mississippi State uses ring that bell. I think in different schools, but Sam Pittman's thing when he would get an offensive line commitment at Georgia was this long, drawn out "Yes, sir." Not uh, not Vern Lundquist style "Yes, sir," but uh, his own take on it. Might play that for you a little bit later this afternoon. Like a creepy uncle, yes, sir. Gus at Auburn, not a ton of personality. Dan Mullen at Florida. Kirby Smart at Georgia. Mark Stoops at Kentucky. You know, I think the league has got a ton of really good coaches right now. But you don't have great personalities, do you? We do in the West more so than the East, for sure. I mean, you're going to get a lot of hot seat talk this coming year. I say a lot, not a whole. I mean, you'll get it with Muschamp, you'll get it with Derek Mason. People will ask about Jimbo Fisher, and that'll get uncomfortable, especially if they start losing games again this year. Kind of seems he's three to, years in, or he, he, he's two years in with year three on the horizon of a ten-year, seventy-five million dollar, fully guaranteed contract. Still sixty mil left on that thing. But they didn't pay you to go. Well, they didn't pay you that much money to go seven and five there. I, I know it's far fetched and kind of ridiculous, but people around there talk about like this is a win or else type season for Jimbo. As ridiculous as that sounds, who are those people though? I mean, everybody always pointed to year three being the year when they started to get pretty darn good. They look like they regressed in year two. Did they regress, or was it just a function of the schedule? Yeah, maybe that. But I saw yesterday, it was specifically about Lane Kiffin and Sam Pittman, and man, they've got an uphill climb in the SEC because they have Nick Saban and Ed Orgeron and Jimbo Fisher. And I get where that's coming from, but Jimbo Fisher's last three seasons as a head coach have not gone well. I know he's got a championship and one of a handful of coaches that actually has one, but do you put Jimbo Fisher in the same conversation as Nick Saban and talking about, even Gus Malzahn, when you're talking about how difficult a league is? Because he's not up to their level right now, at least not in recent production. 2013 was a long time ago. No, he's not up to their level in recent production, but again, what did you expect? He was taking over Kevin Sumlin, 
full roster turnover over the course of a couple of seasons. They've recruited at a really high level. It was going to be year three before they were, you know, in position to begin to start challenging Alabama and LSU and Auburn at the top of the West. I, I, I guess. I guess what I'm getting at is revisionist history is not the right way to describe it, but this insane level of impatience that goes along with Texas A&M fans were absolutely willing to jump on the idea of, uh, you know, the first couple of years, it's just about building this thing, and it's year three when they should begin to, you know, some people would say start challenging for the West. I don't know that they're ready to challenge for the West in year three. But it was always going to take a couple of years to begin to get the roster at Texas A&M the way Jimbo wanted it. They're going to have a, what, a third-year starter at quarterback next year? Or a fourth-year starter in Kellen Mond? Had a buddy that said, careful, Richard, same could have been said about Matt Luke in year three. The difference, though, is... Fifty million dollars. Well, that and I mean, and Jimbo Fisher's won a national title, and they did and go to bowl games. And outside of LSU, I mean, they were competitive-ish with Clemson. They were competitive-ish with Alabama. I mean, it's not like, um, not all seven and fives are built the same. I'm not exactly sold on him just yet. I know it's just year two and stuff like that, but they have a different level of expectation there and. You should be able to get a crop of player that goes better than seven and five in year two. It's not like he was left a roster that was completely depleted. Someone recruited well. Yeah, I guess so. And I mean, next um, year is they have a chance. By the way, I don't know how much of the schedule that you've looked at, but they have a chance to rattle off six wins in a row before they go to Auburn. I mean, their toughest game in the first six is at Mississippi State. Otherwise, it's Abilene Christian, North Texas, Colorado, all at home. They have that weird Arkansas game in Dallas and Fresno State. So is that five or six? And then at Mississippi State would be the, the difficult one. But they have a real chance at starting the season 6-0 and next year. Yeah, so worst-case scenario, probably 5-1 and one through six games, but maybe more likely to be 6-0 and oh through their first six games, which will put Texas A&M in the top ten in the country. The expectation level will be off the charts, and then they'll have to go to Auburn and face a second-year starter in Bo Nix and um, kind of a newly energized. It, to me, the West next year, I'm not going to say it's gettable. That That's not right, because Alabama, you know, is going to reload. LSU recruiting at a really, really high level. But if you think about it, new quarterback at Alabama, and they're losing a bunch off of the two deep. New quarterback at LSU, all they've got to do is replace the most prolific passer in the history of Southeastern Conference football. Auburn's losing a bunch on the defensive side of the ball. So maybe it is setting up for year three of Jimbo at Texas A&M to be the year where they take a big step. Got a bunch to get to with you this afternoon. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Magnolia trees at night, sparkling bright. 
fields of cotton love, wintry white. When it's Christmas time in New Orleans. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Last day off for Hey Dad. Wait, no, he's off tomorrow also, isn't he? Is he really? Hey Dad, take it, taking the extended vacation. Yeah, it was Thursday, Friday last week, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. It's more days so, than uh, a I took off when I had my the, kid. <laughs> yeah, well, you didn't have nearly as many video games to play as Hey Dad did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my man said uh, he had some time off and he was going to enjoy it. So uh, good for him. We're glad to have you along this afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395. Ceasefire, customer inspired. That's the best way for you to connect with us on the show as we move through out things this afternoon. So we'll talk a little bit of coaching stuff as Lane Kiffin continues to work on putting his staff together. Matt Luke reportedly has a new home. And we'll tell you about that. Uh, Luke Johnson will join us in a little while. And Luke is uh, going to talk to us about Southern Miss's bowl game, which is uh, coming up on January the 2nd. Story from the NFL. Most shocking thing you'll hear today, the New England Patriots have gotten caught cheating again. This one's pretty bad. Sean, I think so. And I saw a report just a few minutes ago that said that they are likely not going to get like the book thrown at them. But this seems pretty cut and dry, but what do I know? Yeah. They haven't exactly gotten the book thrown at them in the past when they've gotten caught dirty red-handed, have they? Yeah, good point. Sean Payton is dealing with the ire of Saints fans because of his decision to go for two and not get it. And as a result, have to go for two later in the game, and chasing also points not early, get it. and also not get it. All SEC teams have come out. Got a little bit of Mississippi flavor on those. Take a look at uh, we we have not transitioned back to list season. That that's summertime, but we do have a uh, a top 150 coaches of all time list. That has come out, so we'll uh, we'll get into that this afternoon as well. Luke Johnson coming up on the Farm Bureau phone line in uh, just a little while. Um, so what do we know, Rippy, at this point about Lane Kiffin's staff? Peeler not coming back. So Jacob Peeler, who has a reputation as a uh, really good recruiter, and a pretty good wide receivers coach, is not going to return. Mississippi native who previously was at Cal on Sonny Dyke's staff uh, came in. He was actually hired by Hugh Freeze, uh, never coached with Hugh Freeze because of everything that happened, but has been on Matt Luke's staff for three years. And there was a lot of thought that he is a guy that would would be held over. By the way, congratulations to Jacob and Tori Peeler on the birth of their first child yesterday. Sweet family, and really happy for them. Uh, I, I feel confident in saying, you know, whether you want to move or not is, I, I guess, immaterial at this point. When you're in the coaching profession, things change, and and you know what you're signing up for. But 
there's not much question that Jacob Peeler is going to find himself gainfully employed quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, he was good here. Uh, obviously did a lot to kind of recruit and then grow the whole NWO brand. But, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Super guy also. I, I, we're not close friends, but I would say that Jacob's a friend of mine, so I, I hate for his sake that they're having to leave, but uh, certainly wish them the uh, the best. So Jacob Peeler not returning. Jack McNell not returning. We know that. Uh, offensive line coach. Um Jeff Kuntz, linebackers coach who was here first year, not coming back. Try to think other guys from the previous. Maybe the better way to look at it is kind of what do we know that Lane Kiffin has filled out in his staff at this point. Kevin Smith, who was there yesterday, uh, was running backs coach at FAU, is going to be on staff. Street coach. Whose name I butchered yesterday, and now I can't get that name out of my Head. What'd you say? I think I Love. went with Wilson Love yeah, yesterday. That's exactly what you went with, I'm pretty sure. What's his actual name? Now you got Wilson Love stuck in my head. Help me out, Borky. Because that is his name. Nobody coming to no, my rescue. Th- his name is Wilson Love. You you said something no, else. What did you that's what yeah, what did you say? I have no idea. Okay, Wilson Love is actually what his name is. Yes. I don't even remember what I said yesterday. Anyway. Um, is there pretty strong feeling at this point that uh, Levy, the offensive coordinator from UCF, is going to be on staff? That has been out there as well as him entertaining the prospect of re- retaining Mike McIntyre. I thought it was telling last night they had a recruiting deal. I don't know where that was, but Siski was there, McIntyre was there. I think it was in the DeSoto County area. Okay. I, I don't know specifically if it was South Haven or Hernando or Olive Branch or where, but um, that would tend to make you think that at least you're leaning in the direction of some of those guys staying, right? Yes. Freddie Roach, likely? He was there last night, but... Yeah. So what does that leave? In terms of spots to fill in the offensive side of the ball. I mean, some spots to fill in the defensive side, obviously, depending on who ends up being the D.C., but mostly just, I mean, pretty much the entire offensive side. Yeah. Uh, You want to be a part of the conversation again, you can. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. There's been some discussion about Derek Nix, who has been on multiple staffs at Ole Miss staying. Uh, clearly he's not going to stay in the role of running backs coach, but uh, maybe some buzz about him staying in a different position uh, on the staff. Uh, certainly a guy that knows Mississippi well. Pete Golding's name is one that was thrown around. He's the defensive coordinator at Alabama. There was a possibility that he, a Mississippi uh, native, might be coming back. Um, I've seen reports that that is not likely to uh, to be the case. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it uh, all goes. Um, what's the immediate... I mean, is it all recruiting right now for Lane Kiffin and whatever the staff is, given that there's such a short timeline now? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what else there is to do besides fill out a staff and recruit at this point in the year. I mean, 
he'll have time and after kind of in when recruiting dies down to better analyze the roster and some things like that. But yeah, absolutely. It's all about getting players at this point. Matt Luke is headed to Athens. He is going to be on Kirby Smart's staff as the offensive line coach. Uh, we talked some about this yesterday as uh, news kind of leaked out that that was a possibility. And I wondered out loud if, okay, does Matt Luke want to jump back in right now? Would it make more sense to take a year off? And, you know, is he a football guy and football is what he knows and he needs to go coach football? Um, it appears as if he is jumping right back in. What do you make of that? I was a little surprised that he's jumping back in so quickly, but if that's what he wants to do, good for him. He gets great pay I mean, a buyout, doesn't really affect it by that. Living in Athens would be pretty cool. Not a bad spot. Yeah. So good for him. Uh, Dogs 24-7 uh, tweeted earlier, breaking, barring a last-minute hang-up, Matt Luke will be UGA's new offensive line coach. Nick Suss from the uh, Clarion Ledger uh, tweeted earlier today, uh, I guess about four hours ago, uh, Matt Luke has landed the job as associate head coach and offensive line coach at Georgia. Nice landing spot. And then from the official Georgia football Twitter account, as of about four hours ago, so um, yeah, around lunchtime today. Welcome, Coach Matt Luke. Go dogs! So Matt Luke officially on the staff at Georgia. I mean, I guess the biggest thing that he brings to the table is recruiting, right? I mean that, and I mean, I guess some degree of head coaching experience. But yeah, sure. I mean, he's a pretty good recruiter, has a pretty good track record as a line coach. But yeah, good hire. Yeah, and a guy that's been uh, an offensive line coach at a bunch of different places for a, a bunch of years before the opportunity to uh, be the head coach at Ole Miss. Borky, what do you make of that Of that call? It's a good landing spot for him. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how many Mississippi kids he can uh, potentially try to steal to Georgia. I know they got uh, Nakobe Dean last year, which I guess Matt Luke can finally coach him. But um, <laughs> hey, that would be the thing because he's got ties to Mississippi and – Blake Giffen does not, so maybe there's a natural tie-in there. I don't know. I mean, good for him, good for Georgia, but I don't know if that will really impact anything here to any strong degree. N'Kobe Dean played in all 12 games this year for uh, Georgia. His uh, best game was against Kentucky. He had six tackles in uh, in that game. So had an impact, but on a, uh, a team that had a really, really good defense – um, maybe not as big an impact as he would have had in perhaps other places. Sports Talk Mississippi. I listening in the Only one regular season Division One, I guess FBS game left this year. That's Army Navy coming up Saturday afternoon, two o'clock on CBS, playing it in Philadelphia, and then we roll into bowl season, and uh, bowl season gets started. On Friday, December 20th, a couple of games that day. You've got a handful of games on the uh, Saturday that follows. Southern Miss, I think I said earlier, will play on January 2nd. It's not January 2nd. It's January 4th in which Southern Miss will play in its bowl game. And joining us to talk a little bit about that now, Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com. And go with the home team. Luke, Southern Miss, 7-5 and five on the year. Tulane, 6-6 six and six on the year. The Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth, a 10.30 a.m. kickoff 
on Saturday, January the 4th. So you get a Saturday. Maybe that gives people a little bit more opportunity to travel. What's the uh, what's the reaction to this matchup in this bowl game? Well, if you're a Southern Miss fan, um, it, it's a pretty good matchup for you. Uh, coming down on Sunday afternoon, I know I text you a few times, Southern Miss fans thought we might be going to Shreveport, and then Louisiana Tech was pegged there, and I think everybody was hoping we didn't end up in New Mexico, but uh, it's it's a really good matchup. It was actually paired with the Mountain West when Hawaii stayed home for the Hawaii Bowl. The AAC spot came open, and you know what do you know? A two-lane team that started off five and one this year, and they started off five and one, ended one and five. Um, but they, they lost a few close ones to Central Florida. Uh, lost a close one to Navy, but they beat Houston and. Only lost uh, by 18 on the road at, at Auburn in week two. So uh, Justin McMillan's a dangerous quarterback. And I think more than anything, Southern Miss fans are, and this is a familiar foe, but they have it, Southern Miss and, and Tulane, who played basically every year forever. They haven't played since 2010. So um, the, the venue's going to be good. Uh, you know, the TCU Stadium, 45000 $164 million renovation uh, a few years back. And, so I think they're they're excited to be the only bowl game on that day. The reason for the early kick is because you got a wild cards in in the NFL starting um, that afternoon. But it's the only football game on television, and it, and it's against an old rival. And uh, pretty cool to be part of the the you know, armed forces tradition there. So I think it's a win for Southern Miss fans. In terms of exposure, I mean, you mentioned the New Mexico Bowl. There was a hope that that wasn't going to be the case. So New Mexico Bowl. That's on the second day of the bowl season, so Saturday, December 21st. You'd be looking at 11 days from right now and playing against a team, what, from the MAC, I guess? Um, you got the MAC and the WAC with Central Michigan and San Diego State playing in that game. So is it better to play at the very beginning of the bowl season, or do you prefer the idea of playing at the very end of the bowl season with just you know a couple of games remaining before you get to the national championship game, it's a straight off. Uh, everybody's doing finals this week, so when finals gets over, you look up. You really only got like one week to prep if you play on December twentieth or twenty first. Um, you know, if you played in Independence or you played uh, you know down in Tampa, or if you played in the first responder bowl, um, you start messing with Christmas. So. The positives are um, that the coaches can focus on, on some recruiting, and you don't have to worry necessarily about pumping in all the bowl practice. You get to uh, celebrate Christmas with your family, and then you get to go play a football game. The negative is you're not going you know you're going to be beating on yourself for the next three weeks. And and I, I remember when we played in the Liberty Bowl on the 31st. Um, the other game, other times we played were a little earlier than that, and, and it does just become like let's play. So this is the first. January bowl game for Southern Miss. Um, I got to do my, my research. Maybe in a long, long time, uh, maybe the first ever they've actually played in January. So you know, you just kind of the itch to play. Um, so you know, with all that lined up, I think the positives slightly outweigh the negative. And it gives you some flexibility in your bowl preparation schedule as well. So I mean, what fifteen practices you're allowed leading up to the uh, to the bowl game. So from a coaching staff standpoint, you can say. Hey, go take care of your finals. Make sure you got your academics in order. You can get a week or so's worth of practice. Let coaches focus on recruiting, like you alluded to a second ago. Give everybody, I don't know, three or four days maybe to go home for Christmas and then come back to Hattiesburg 
and then go as a team from there to uh, Fort Worth, I'm assuming, which what would be around, I don't know, probably December 31st would be when uh, when you make the trip and head over to Fort Worth as a team? Yeah, that's when the, the date we're hearing that they'll they'll ship out on. So, yeah, you can actually come in right after Christmas and get three or four days of practice. The biggest thing is they get that extra practice. Um, you're looking at, you know, guys like Tate Watley um, at quarterback position going to get more reps. Um, you didn't have that last year because you didn't go to a bowl. So, you know, extra little spring practice. But, you know, like, like any Southern Miss team, they'll go over there uh, not just to get the extra reps, they'll go over there to win. Um, yeah, so – when you look at the recruiting perspective, when you look at uh, it allows this team to rest a little bit because they were dinged up down the stretch, um, uh, the only negative I can see is, like, we just want to play football. But I, I think the, the positives do outweigh the negatives. When you look ahead for 2020, Southern Miss, so no bowl game last year, but the opportunity to get to a bowl game this season – and then a senior quarterback next year, but also Tate Watley, the opportunity, as you said just a second ago, to get some reps and maybe a little more experience kind of leading up to the bowl game and probably some level of a competition going into next season. A schedule that out of the gate, different from this year, kind of gives you the opportunity to get off to a pretty fast start. South Alabama, Jackson State, road trip to Auburn, road trip to Liberty. Don't know if Hugh Freeze is still going to be at Liberty when uh, Southern Miss plays. I guess that game's a little bit later. That one's pushed off into the middle of the season. Yeah, so what are your thoughts looking a full calendar year ahead to where Southern Miss could be headed? It's just hard to project um, simply because you're going to lose some some key pieces. Quez Watkins will be gone. you know, you lose Drake Dorbeck up front. How's Abraham going to respond? That's really the big question. You know, how does Jack play in the bowl game? Uh, to what degree do they use Tay Watley in the bowl game? I, I think it's safe to say now. I mean, this is Jack Abraham's team. I don't think there'll be that much controversy. But I mean, you got a young stud in Jaden Johnson, um, the, the true freshman uh, from Memphis, who's who's could be really, really good and could develop really well in the spring. I, I think it's just going to be how much they they you know put some of the, the, the guys in the bowl practice and, and when you go through spring. Um, you would think that you would start off 2-0 and next year. Uh, you get Florida Atlantic at home. You get Louisiana Tech at home. you got to go to UAB, to Western Kentucky. you got to go to Denton. What's North Texas going to look like? Um, again, it's just going to be, as I've always kind of said with you, cautious optim- uh, you know, being, being cautiously optimistic. Uh, so there, there's just a lot of unknowns. What are they going to do in the receiving core? Because it's going to be depleted. Uh, you lose three or four guys there. Kind of looking at that game in October against Liberty. That's October 24th. I mean, that could, in a lot of ways, be kind of a swing game on the schedule, couldn't it? I mean, that could that be the difference in you know having an eight or nine win team and a seven or eight win team, or maybe the difference in nine wins and even ten wins next year? Yeah, it'll be the first time of, and you know, that the, they didn't have it this year. We got an out of conference game right in the middle there, and Liberty won't be a Liberty will won't, won't be a, a, a soft matchup by any means. So again, you got to see how you how you. Uh, they haven't released the conference schedule yet, but who do you have early? You got FAU early. You got La Tech early. You got a, a, a stretch run, and you know, even the, the way the 
season ended this this year with a really tough two teams to finish. So you know, if if you get Louisiana Tech, uh, FAU, and Liberty three weeks in a row, that that's a pretty tough stretch. So it, it will depend a lot on the out of conference schedule. I mean, the in conference schedule when they release it later on. Quick basketball thought: Got to win a three point win against Southern Illinois last Saturday. That snapped a four game losing streak. UNF coming up this Saturday, a uh, chance to maybe pick up another win before uh, heading off to Lubbock on the 16th. No, that'll be a difficult assignment against Texas Tech. Should have Jack Donnelly back, big man down below. Should have him ready for Saturday, but you know they'll have a week off before they play again. Um, so, yeah, not much news on that. Just, just hopefully can avenge that loss. I should go back to football real quick. You guys will like this. Frank Gore, Jr., was on campus this weekend for an official visit at Southern Miss. Was committed to FAU, but looks like his recruitment is back open um, ever since uh, when, when Lane Kiffin left uh, left FAU. And a little smack talk today between the two athletic directors. Jamie McLean actually found the bell. Tulane and Southern Miss used to have the battle for the bell. Uh, haven't played since 2010, so uh, Jamie McLean posted a picture of the bell and started talking smack talk to Troy Dannon down at, at, uh, at Tulane, and he fired back too. So we're still a month out, and it looks like the battle for the bell is going to be renewed. You think we might get a wrestling match with the ADs? I got my money on Jeremy. He's pretty he's pretty well built. He was a college baseball player. There you go. Thanks, Luke. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Hi, right, guys. Have a good week. Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Southern Miss playing January 4th in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. That's at TCU Stadium in Fort Worth against the Tulane Green Wave. Sports Talk Mississippi rolls on after this with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. You want to be a part of the show? Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippy. Hey, Dad, is off for a couple more days. Borky, you love some dumb criminal news. You especially like it when it has a tie to sports. Take it away. A couple of Packers fans went to their most recent game at Lambeau Field and uh, partook in the game day festivities. They then, after the game, went to a bar in a town called Janesville. Then these two guys outside of the bar got the police called in, called on them because they were standing in the street trying to flag down cars. Turns out they got in a pretty violent fistfight over the show How I Met Your Mother both of which are apparently fans of the sitcom that ended in 2014. That fist fight and trying to flag down cars got the police involved. They then determined that one of them was way too intoxicated to have driven them there, and he gets arrested. The mugshot is great. How I Met Your, yeah, how they... I met your Mother. I mean, that was Doogie Howser, right? Yeah, it was him and... Um... Neil Patrick Harris, obviously. Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris and uh, uh, Jason Siegel, who's a really funny guy. Uh, he's in um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, um, the band geek from the American Pie movies. Anyway, good show. The ending was terrible, but they got in a fight over it so bad, they really beat on each other. Like the mugshot, the guy looks like he just got done boxing. They really beat the brakes off of each other over this sitcom and uh, one of them got arrested because he was too drunk to drive. Yeah, and the one that got arrested, wasn't it his fourth DUI? Did I read DUI that DUI number correctly? four. He's gone 11 years since his last one, though. So, you know, that's something. 
Holy cow, they did beat the heck out of each other. <laughs> Look at that Alan picture. Hushka. Gracious. That did not go well for him. Of all the things to be fighting over, a sitcom starring Neil Patrick Harris that ended five years ago. But, Sounds like it's the kind of thing that Brian Scott Rippey would get in a fight over. I don't think I've ever seen this show. Yeah, I don't think I have either. It's fine. It's like a turn-your-brain-off type thing. Yeah, I mean, I know what you're talking about. I know that I'm aware of the show. I just don't think I ever sat down and watched it. Um, although, Neil Patrick Harris, pretty talented guy. My favorite line in the article is, it was not clear why the men were arguing over the TV show, which ended in 2014, other than that Hauschka said they were they both loved it, according to the complaint. Mm. Uh, His right eye swollen, show, smooth shut. Go Pat Go, baby. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a, after a win. They should have been celebrating. That's what Aaron Rodgers said he was going to do Sunday nights, that he was going to go drink his fair share of scotch after the game. It's like that Dr. Pepper commercial where the parents are pissed at the kid because he's home too early after the team won. <laughs> the Fansville series. Yeah. Those have gotten better. The first few were terrible, but now the uh, the one couple who had a baby and the baby's a tech fan instead of a state fan and he's questioning whether or not it's his baby, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned at top of the show, Borky. Uh, we're talking about Matt Luke going to Georgia as the offensive line coach. Chad Morris lands on his feet as well. The recently terminated Arkansas head coach is now going to be the offensive coordinator for Gus Malzahn at Auburn. These are that's two guys that are friends, like legitimately friends, go on vacations together. Have, uh, liked each other for a really long time. Is this a good thing for Auburn? And and maybe maybe the more important question is, I feel like we've ridden this roller coaster of Gus is calling plays, Gus isn't calling plays. Gus is going to call plays, Gus hires an offensive coordinator, and he turns over the offense. And he called plays in the bowl game a year ago, and they were prolific in that game against Purdue. Called plays this year with a freshman quarterback, and you kind of real you, you you've kind of felt like okay, Gus realizes that if he's got to go down, he's going to go down his way, and he's going to be the guy that's calling plays. But now, when you bring in a a veteran offensive coach who's been a head coach, who's run a program for the last five, six years at SMU and Arkansas, though not with a ton of success, and a guy that you're familiar with, is Gus going to once again hand off the play-calling duties to another guy, or did he just hire Chad Morris because he thinks he can work with quarterbacks and likes what he brings to the organization? seems to me like Gus would hold on to the play-calling responsibilities. Yeah, He this... seems to enjoy that. He's pretty good at it. And it worked, didn't it? I mean, they lost three games, but they did win the Iron Bowl with a true freshman quarterback and their top 15 team. Seems to have gone well. Scored 48 points, and they've got a chance to get to 10 wins this year. Pretty good season. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. More coming up, 4 o'clock hour, just around the corner on this Tuesday. 
Kind of like a good Jimmy Buffett day when uh, it's snowing outside. It's Buffett Christmas, though. That's okay. Buffett was probably doing Christmas somewhere in the Caribbean when he, uh, or the Caribbean as he prefers to call it, when uh, he recorded this. Just guessing. Why does snow not do it for you anymore? There's no school for there to be canceled. Yeah. It's not like you get to miss work. No, you still have to go to work. You got four wheel drive too, don't you? If I do, I've never used it. Wait, you don't know if the vehicle you're driving has four wheel drive? I'm pretty sure it does, but like if I've never turned it on, why in the world would I? Why why would you know if your vehicle has four wheel drive? Yeah, sorry, I went mud riding the other day and just didn't need all four wheels. It just seems like that's one of those things that, I don't know, as a male in the South, you would know if the vehicle you were driving had four-wheel drive or not. I'll check that next time I go hunting gathering for dinner. <laughs> I love your hunting gathering thing. You got a hunting trip coming up anytime soon? No. You went, you went during dove season, didn't you? That is right. I sat on a cooler in shorts and a t-shirt and a shotgun. Yeah. Good day for you? Shot a box of shells, didn't hit a single thing. Yeah. I hit a tree or two. You think you would have had better success, like, deer hunting than dove hunting? I've killed a deer before. Have you? Yeah. Recently? Yeah. I used a gun, but truthfully, I probably didn't need a weapon. (laughs) You just could have done it with your bare hands? Stalked it. I I was convinced you were going to tell me you killed a deer when you hit it with your car driving down the road. Nope. I went deer hunting when I was a kid. There you go. Yep, like a deer camp somewhere you go to? Yeah. Really? You do that fairly regularly? Hadn't been in probably eight, nine years at this point. <laughs> so, so your family has a place where you guys go to hunt, but you've been a decade without going? No, no, no. I've been there. I haven't been hunting in that long. What do you do? Just like go sit by the fire? Yeah. Do I, s'mores? No, I don't do s'mores. Um, but... Sip on the occasional beer, watch football. Yeah. You spend some time there at Christmas? Possibly. Where is it? Benton, Mississippi, on the Big Black. Where is Benton? Yazoo County. You were so about to say on the Big Black again, and then you decided not to. No, I was going to say next to Bentonia, but it doesn't matter. Sports Talk Mississippi, brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you want to be just like Brian Scott Rippey and have your own recreational piece of property on the Big Black River in Benton, next to Bentonia, where you can go and not hunt, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. Because that's what they do. They help finance and refinance land, whether it's recreational, spot to build a, uh, a dream home, actually building a dream house, or if you're a farmer with equipment needs, let Mississippi Land Bank help you. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Porky, I think Rippy was getting progressively more irritated with me every time I ask him another question. <laughs> no. It's great. Shout out Highway 16. Yeah. How long does it take you to get there from uh, the homestead? From Jackson or Oxford? I guess I meant Jackson. 35 minutes? So, I th- yeah. And two and a half hours from Oxford, give or take? Probably not that long from Oxford, because you just take the North Canton exit. 
No. Actually, it probably is once you come down to it about the same. Gotcha. So you're going to do a little hunting, hunting and gathering over the Christmas break? Probably not. Even though you're taking several days off of work? Yeah. Probably. You're just going to pull a hate ad and sit at the house and play video games? No, I'll probably venture outside once or twice, but probably uh, not hitting the woods. Yeah. You are quite the outdoorsman, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Jeez. All right, Borky, this Patriot story, it's, uh, it's out there. A big story at The Athletic. You may have read that. Some of the high-level points. Did we talk at all about this yesterday, or was it just off the air? Mentioned it briefly, I think, but didn't really get into details. So there was a Bengals staff member when Cincinnati was playing the New England Patriots. And oh, oh they by were the way, the why? So this is happening a week before the Patriots play the Bengals. Oh, okay. Sorry. Bengals staff member in the press box catches a guy with a video camera recording the Cincinnati sideline who had a press credential that was credited to the Patriots and he was wearing Boston Bruins gear. That may be the best part of the story. I think he was wearing a hockey sweater at the football game. Whatever. Staff member thought something was up here and so he reached out to NFL security, got them involved, and they confiscated the tape and sent it to the league office. There is a report out there claiming that the Patriots staff member, dressed in Boston Bruins gear, credentialed as a media member, offered them that, hey, let's just delete this tape and act like it never happened. Eight minutes focused solely on the Bengals' sideline, with a direct view of the sideline as players run on and off the field and coaches give their signals. All right, so so what is this statement, Borky, that the Patriots have released, admitting wrong but claiming that it was their video production crew filming a documentary on a scout and they weren't aware of the NFL's policy? Right, so they're claiming that they, as part of their documentary series, were following this scout because... Like, if you're a Saints fan, they play the Colts this week. There was probably a Colts scout in the Superdome on Sunday, watching okay. your game and charting plays and stuff like that. Like that—that that is a common occurrence in the NFL. They're claiming that this video person was there to record the scout. And what you can do is record personnel in the press box, like you watched the, the Ole Miss and Mississippi State season type. Things where they have video of coaches in the press box and on the sideline. Similar thing here. But the rule is you cannot record the field. You can record the coach or the scout and what they're doing, but you cannot have the field in view. And this video was eight minutes of nothing but the Bengals' sideline. So the Patriots are admitting that, yeah, you you know, we, we screwed up here, but this is all about this documentary and we didn't know the rules, but the video that was shot is nothing related to what they claim it was according to this report and from this the was not some this was not some scenario where the scout was sitting like on a media row table looking at the field watching the game and the video camera was just over his shoulder and happened to pick up some of the field it was a camera that was focused 
specifically and intentionally on the Cincinnati sideline. As I understand it, that is correct. Why do the Patriots cheat so much? And I've seen a lot of people ask, you know, why are you doing that for the Bengals? They're so bad. That's not the point. Because if they are doing this for the Bengals, that means they do it for literally everybody. That that is part of their game day preparation routine. The lead on this story at The Athletic by Paul Daner Jr. Imagine being a Bengals staff member sitting down to watch the game in the second row of the press box when somebody sits down in front of you during the first quarter, pulls out a video camera, and starts recording. You watch and see the viewfinder locked on the Cincinnati sideline and realize the videographer is connected to the Patriots. Wearing Boston Bruins gear. That's what happened on Sunday in Cleveland, unbelievably considering the history of such offenses. But again, I would go back and ask the question, why is it that the Patriots are the team that constantly feels like they've got to cheat? And and not cheat in the way of, oh, we're going to figure out how we can get away with something on the field without a penalty. Cheat in the sense of we're going to deflate footballs to give our Hall of Fame quarterback a better chance of feeling the ball and throwing it. Yeah, okay, maybe that's not that big of a deal. We're going to video Super Bowl practice of the team we're playing for the Lombardi Trophy. We're going to send a staff member to our next week's opponent have him video the sideline so that we can pick up on substitution patterns and signals that that team is using. Why? And, and I mean, wasn't, the, wasn't part of the defense in Deflategate was, it was some rogue staff member? That, and then they won the game on by his own? And they won the game by a million points. So it's like, yeah, they deflated the footballs, but they were significantly better than the Colts that day, so who cares? They must have the biggest bunch of rogue staff members. I mean, <laughs> it's like nothing but. Like everybody that works for the Patriots in an organization that is more buttoned up than any other in football, that has a head coach who understands every single thing that goes on in the organization – they got a bunch of rogue dudes just running around doing their own thing. It's crazy. Is there a gate name for this um, controversy yet involving the uh, rogue videographer? Well, they used Spygate for the last time the Patriots got caught videotaping teams when they couldn't. So is this like videotape gate or camera gate or like Operation Bingle Sting? <laughs> Bengals bite. In 2007, Bill Belichick fined $500,000. The team hit with an additional $250,000 fine and the loss of a first-round draft pick as a result of Spygate. 2015, you had Deflategate, which resulted in more heavy penalties, including another lost first-round pick and a four-game suspension for quarterback Tom Brady. And seemingly little margin for error for the Patriots going forward, given their propensity to cheat in the past. 
Again, I go back to the question of why. Well, do anything you can, I suppose, to get a competitive advantage. The statement, by the way, from the New England Patriots was, uh, oh, you know. For the past year, the Patriots' content team has produced a series of behind-the-scenes features on various departments within the organization. The seven previous do-your-job episodes are archived on Patriots.com. On December 8th, the content team sent a three-person video crew to the Bengals-Browns game at First Energy Stadium in order to capture one part of a longer feature on the Patriots scouting department, in this case, a Patriots pro personnel scout while he was working in the press box. While we sought and were granted credentialed access from the Browns for the video crew, our failure to inform the Bengals and the league was an unintended oversight. Hmm. In addition to filming the scout, the production crew, without specific knowledge of league rules, inappropriately filmed the field from the press box. Sole purpose of the filming was to provide an illustration of an advanced scout at work on the road. There was no intention of using the footage for any other purpose. We understand and acknowledge that our video crew, which included independent contractors who shot the video, unknowingly violated a league policy by filming the field and sideline from the press box. When questioned, the crew immediately turned over all footage to the league and cooperated fully. Production crew is independent of our football operation. While aware that one of the scouts was being profiled for a do-your-job episode, our football staff had no other involvement whatsoever in the planning, filming, or creative decisions made during the production of these features. We accept full responsibility for the actions of our production crew at the Browns-Bengals game. I love that. Especially a guy like Bill Belichick, right, who is a control freak. I don't know if you've seen a recent interview with his son. He is identical to him. They give nobody any information. I mean, it is so structured and planned, and Bill Belichick has his hands in control on everything until something goes wrong. Same thing in college football. These coaches are control freaks. They know everything that goes on in their program until it it breaks the rules, and suddenly, you know what, I had no idea. I had no idea I had these staff members, and they just do things that are against the rules that directly benefit me that I have no idea, nothing about. We see right through that, don't we? Son that you mentioned, Stephen Belichick's a safeties coach for the Patriots. It's actually kind of funny. He is his dad, just younger. Worse hair. Much worse hair. Bad hair. Yeah. So, that's what's... uh, Did you realize that Bill Belichick was 67? Which, 70 is like the new 50. Stick with the NFL for a second. Last night. Oh, last night. Felt like it was scripted by Hollywood. Eli Manning goes out, plays really well in the first half last night for the Giants. Threw a couple of touchdown passes in the game. I think he was 11 for 18 or 11 for 19 at the half for about 190 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Manning finished the game as New York can do nothing offensively in the second half. 15 of 30, 203 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. And the Saints, who led 17 to 3 at the break, gave up 7 in the third, 
Touchdown with about three minutes to play in the fourth. By the way, should have been a delay a game on the play that ultimately scored a touchdown there. And then never touched the ball in overtime. Lost the toss. Philadelphia got it, drove down, scored a touchdown, and won 23-17. Giants have now lost nine in a row. And what could have been just an incredible night for Eli Manning and the Manning family, kind of a frustrating second half. What was different with Philly in the second half than in the first half? They're a better team. They eventually found a way to win. Started raining a little bit. The Giants have a ton of problems. I saw one Fox Sports radio host today say, it's time for the Giants to reset. It's like, isn't that what drafting Daniel Jones was doing? They went faster. Like, once they started going up-tempo, the Giants couldn't do anything. It's probably because they have the worst secondary in the... Uh, probably not the worst, technically, but one of the worst in the NFL. Couldn't be worse than what Carson New Orleans Wentz, did on 30... Sunday. Yeah, but New Orleans has also had its moments where it's looked really good in the secondary. Yeah. Just not on Sunday. Carson Wentz, 33-50, 325, two touchdowns, both in the second half, no picks in the ball game. And the Eagles keep their playoff hopes alive. Booger's, I, I don't even care normally about announcers at all because I think it's a hard job, but Booger's the worst color announcer on any major network in history. I don't even think it's close. Ever? Yes. best color, Worst color announcer in history on any major network. What do you not like about his about what he does? Well, he gets stuff factually inaccurate fairly regularly. Last night he called for an RPO out of an empty set. Like... Last year, he said the Giants. <laughs> last year, in a game, a Monday night game when the Giants were playing at the Falcons, he said Eli had only made the playoffs in the two years that they made a Super Bowl run. Not true. And then said he wasn't a Hall of Famer. And then last night, almost a year to the day, probably a little over a year to the day, said that Eli Manning had two of the greatest playoff runs ever and is undoubtedly a Hall of Famer. He gets stuff wrong all the time. He. Well, he did have two of the greatest playoff runs ever. I guess there's some doubt, or at least debate, as to whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. But he just completely 180'd. Yeah. And then, like, I don't know, he, he gets stuff wrong, he doesn't stop talking. I don't really like Tessator that much, because a five-yard game, you would have thought it's Joe Buck calling the Randy Moss thing. Like, every like it's hard to figure out what's actually a big deal and what isn't a big deal, because he's screaming about everything. Tessitore's okay though. Booger is horrible. I, I I literally I don't ever notice announcers like, but I, I can't listen. It's it's unimaginably bad. Remember last uh, week last, when uh, Tessitore accidentally called DK Metcalf decaf Metcalf, and that was a quarter after uh, D- Booger said he the Vikings are tired of having historic plays go against them like the uh, Minneapolis miracle. <laughs> Wait, what? Wasn't yeah. that the play that they yeah. had against the Saints? That yes. is correct. Mm-hmm. That's why it's called the Minneapolis Miracle. I, I, it's, it's, it's awful. They've got to do something about it. You thought Witten was bad. All Witten did was he left and was like, "Oh, you think like you think I stink at this job? Look at this guy we had on the scooter last year." <laughs> the rolling deer stand. Well, yeah, whatever it is, know all about deer stands, but. <laughs> 
it's it's really bad. I hope they do something about it. I don't want like maybe they can find some other role for him at ESPN because obviously I don't want like people to get fired. But like it is horrible. Two teams in the AFC have clinched playoff spots: the Ravens at eleven and two, and the Kansas City Chiefs at nine and four. Patriots lead the East by a game over the Bills. Ravens are three out in front of the Steelers. Texans and the Titans are tied in the AFC South at eight and five, and Kansas City has a three-game lead over the Raiders in the AFC West. NFC side of things, only one team has clinched a playoff spot, and that is the New Orleans Saints. And that's because they've got a four-game lead over the Bucks, a five-game lead over the Panthers, and a six-game lead over the Atlanta Falcons. Everybody else still in the hunt. NFC East, the Cowboys and the Eagles are tied for the division lead at 6-7. and seven. Packers 10 and 3 leading the NFC North, one game in front of Minnesota. Out West, San Francisco 11 and 2, a game in front of Seattle at 10 and 3. NFC West, the best division in the NFL? Yeah, definitely. Uh, There's not even really another close one. Dallas is going to have to host either Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, or uh, uh, Russell Wilson. In the wildcard game. NFC North would be the only one that you could compare, but when you go to the third team, Rams are probably better than the Bears. Yeah. No, I agree on that front. Now, the good news is it's all about just getting to the playoffs. We know the Cowboys, that's when they really turn it up a notch and have their most success. Hey, Michael Borky. Yes, sir. There's a few things that I like, uh, enjoy in life more than laughing at Rippy <laughs> or laughing at his expense. What do you say we go down a little text message memory lane? So Wayne on the C Spire text line has a fishing buddy whose daughter, I think, has a crush on Rippy. What's up? Casey. You know who I'm talking about, Casey. Saw this on my trip to the text line last month. Going all the way back to July 8th, when Casey started taking over Wayne's phone and texting the show. Richard, you ask everyone about their weekend except Rippy. Um, <laughs> but moving forward, Wayne did offer the explanation later that day. Sorry, guys. Casey's my fishing buddy sister. I'll try to keep my phone out of her reach. She loves recreational competitive activities and Rippy. She and my wife listened to Rebecca Turner, and we all like sports talk. You can... Have her cheap, Rippy. <laughs> she plays golf, tennis, and shoots skeet. And will use your phone without permission. I don't think I saw this one. Um, <laughs> there was a response to that one that said, This is my favorite text in a while. Rippy's available. He has a rental house with a pool if she wants to Netflix and chill. Got bad news about the pool, but we can talk about that later. You don't remember who sent um, that one. That was you. That was me, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I know. Um, fast forwarding to August, had to send this to get Casey to go away. Her winners, we were doing winners and losers on a Monday, are Rippy and Chipper Jones. 
No context necessary. A lot of hits between those two. Um, more winners and losers. Chiefs win Super Bowl. Rippy rocks from Casey. Got to go. I'm on a stolen phone. <laughs> September 26th. Are you guys where we can see you and say hi? You're in my hometown. Casey is dying to beat Rippy. Did we meet at the... Well, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, random day where she said, hi, Rip, Casey. <laughs> Sorry, I don't check the text line as much as I should. Um, Wednesday, last Wednesday. Richard, this is Casey. Stop laughing at Rippy. I saw that one. Yeah. Um, Casey here, checking in on Rippy's finger. Hope it's all better. That was after you sliced your finger last week. One of the uh, primary gashes is closed. Still working on the secondaries. See it? And with a microscope, you can even find it. You can. And then there was, uh, hey, we saw you guys at uh, Northeast a while back, all except the South Carolina dude. That's you, Borky. This is Casey. My hair was held up with an ink pen that day, so I didn't stop to say hi. I don't hunt with a gun either, Rip. Nice. Hey! Question on the ceasefire text line, different person. Is Casey the Rippy Parody Twitter account? We haven't seen... Jeff and Grenada. Sorry, go ahead. We haven't seen the Rippy Parody account since one uh, employee of Supertalk moved to Tampa. Probably about time that thing wound down anyway. Rippy Dippy Doo. Uh, Jeff and Grenada, Rippy's dry sense of humor is the best. He's an outstanding hire. Thanks, Jeff. Take me hunting. You're a big fan of the American Whitetail? North American Whitetail. But like Casey, I don't need a gun either. Um, I've seen this show before. Casey Catfish Rippy. Manti Teo situation. I was here. thinking Manti Teo as well. I'll have to Who, drive uh, all Bruce over Feldman. the state for this one, no. too. Yeah, no. <laughs> Didn't Pete Thamel interview this imaginary person? Yes. Casey? No, no, no. Manti's uh, girlfriend. I think Casey's real. Manti Teo's, uh... Oh, yeah. That was a great combo. Yeah. So, um, there's that. Is this going to cause any issues in your personal life? I think we're all good. Okay. A uh, little bit of college football kind of around-the-horn news dump however you want to describe it. Mike Bobo, who was fired at Colorado State, has been hired as the offensive coordinator at South Carolina. Thought kind of an unfortunate deal there when he had that health scare, kind of set him in that season back a little bit. Aren't we about three years removed from Mike Bobo being one of the hottest names in college football? But maybe didn't take the right job in going to Colorado State and three or four pretty poor seasons and loses his head coaching job and he's back as an offensive coordinator. Speaking of South Carolina, Jake Bentley has announced that he's transferring to Utah through the transfer portal. So uh, So is Hundley gone? Senior? That would be my guess, but I don't know that for a fact. I don't remember. I, I think Huntley is a senior, yes, but double-check on that. 
Mentioned earlier, offensive coordinator Chad Morris now at Auburn. And Auburn is saying that Gus will be the primary play caller still. Hugh Freeze has been given a new five-year contract at Liberty. And according to Brett Murphy, it will be on par with the highest paid group of five coaches. So what, that's going to get him in the three to four million range, right? Perfect place Mike for him. Mike Norvell, say again? Perfect place for him. I mean, there, there was word about him potentially taking the Memphis job, but if you're Hugh Freeze, why would you leave the fortress of Liberty University until you get offered inexplicably a big-time job again? Which is going to happen, right? Somebody will take a chance on him, yes. They're going to a bowl game at 7-5 and five this year. If they go to a bowl game again next year, maybe let's say they go nine and three next season. He he'll get a shot. Should Memphis hire Hugh Freeze? No. Why? How long do you have? But well, I mean, an hour and fifteen minutes. I mean, isn't this where it kind of all began for Hugh? Well, yeah, I mean, he was a high school coach at Briarcrest. So you don't think that's a good place for him to go back? Just how much of an upgrade is that for... And he is in a very protected place. And being at Memphis is not exact... I mean, it's a better job than Liberty, but how much, especially if they're giving you the kind of money that they're saying they're giving him... And doesn't that open you back up again, especially in a fertile recruiting ground like Memphis? What happens when there's a four-star there that Tennessee and Ole Miss and Arkansas and Texas A&M and Auburn all want, and he signs with Memphis instead? You just open yourself up to all that crap again before you even take your next big job, which that's always going to come with him. He will never escape the, the, the cheating label. But at a place like Memphis, it can come back before you get the big job where it really doesn't matter if people call you cheater because – Hopefully this time for him, they will have learned how to protect it. You know, I'd, I'd say one argument that you could make for Memphis, if if that's an opportunity for Hugh Freeze, is that the last two coaches have parlayed into big Power Five jobs. Very true. I mean, Justin Fuente leaves Memphis and goes to Virginia Tech, and then Mike Norvell leaves Memphis and goes to Florida State. And the program's in a good place. They've got a good roster. Got to break in a new quarterback next year. But Kenneth Gainwell will be back. We'll see. Still think that's coming. What kind of of a place would hire him? Would hire Hugh Freeze? Yeah, because I really don't think that it's the SEC. That would have already been the case, I think, if not for some inner workings from some other people, no? And that's why I I say that. Well, it's like you're speaking in code there. The commissioner said no. Right. Okay. And how long does that well, I mean, pseudo ban last? And because uh, I just don't see it. That's riskier than yeah. Lane Kiffin. Hugh Freeze hiring Hugh Freeze is far riskier than hiring Lane Kiffin. Jeff and Grenada says, "Who gets a big time shot first, Freeze?" Or the Holy Cross baseball coach. I couldn't spell his name. I, I don't know. 
Uh, Canizaro. Oh, the high school coach. I mean, obviously formerly at Mississippi State, but coaching high school baseball in New Orleans. What kind of shots he talking about? Or is it Baton Rouge? Either way. Somewhere in Louisiana. Will in Eupora says the NCAA is already in Memphis. It's probably not the best idea to bring Hugh Freeze in. Wow, they're friends. Uh, I'm a state fan. I would take Freeze in a heartbeat. Hey, Dad told me a couple I'm, weeks ago that there wasn't a single state fan that would take him, and I told him he was wrong. Look at me. I think people's perception of Freeze would be different if he had to see out the 2017 and 2018 seasons in Oxford, but that's another conversation for another day. That was Jay in Charleston, by the way. And Josh says, how about Freeze to Appalachian State? Uh, it would be a huge step down financially. They were paying Eli Drink- Elijah Drinkwitz uh, 750000 last year. Huge step up in home life. Boone, North Carolina. You don't like Lynchburg, Virginia? Never been. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Tuesday afternoon. Hey, Dad, still doing his vacation time. He will rejoin us on Thursday of this week. Glad to have you along. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Hey, we hit... On a Pearl River Resort pick of the day yesterday, felt like it was going to be an outright win for a while with the uh, Giants leading seventeen to three at the half and hanging on for a lead into the uh, in, late into the fourth quarter, but uh, ultimately went to overtime. But they were getting nine in the game and lost by six. So that was a winner last night for you on the uh, Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Borky, were you feeling confident about that one yesterday? Oh yeah, especially even after the game kicked off. I, I mean. I was hoping that you were going to get the poetic maybe ending for Eli. His whole family, they kept showing his family up in one of the uh, suites that they all came out to that game just to see maybe this final chance. And by the way, that loss now gives him a one game below 500 career record as a starter. Yeah. They've got a couple of winnable games left, though. If Daniel Jones doesn't come back, then, you know, he can right that ship. But. Thought it was going to be one of those poetic nights and threw a couple of touchdowns early and I just couldn't get it done. It's a bad football team. Nobody in the SEC is playing basketball tonight, but you've actually got some fun games in the top 25. Jimmy V Classic happening tonight at Madison Square Garden. Game one is Texas Tech and Louisville. And game two is UConn. Oh, who are they playing? It's the uh, the nightcap. It's uh, sorry, my computer's not wanting to refresh. Uh, UConn is playing Indiana tonight at Madison Square Garden. That one tips off at uh, at eight o'clock. But so Texas Tech and number one Louisville. Louisville is nine and zero on the year. They're a six point favorite against the uh, the Red Raiders, who are five and three. Number four Maryland off to a ten and zero start is at Penn State. Penn State's 7-2 and two on the year. Penn State's actually a favorite in that game. Little um, conference matchup with those two teams tonight. Milwaukee is at Kansas. Fun matchup in Waco. 9-0 and Butler up to number 18 in the country. Coming off a week in which they won twice against SEC teams. Won in Oxford on Tuesday of last week. 
and then returned home on Saturday and pretty handily beat the Florida Gators. They are at Baylor tonight. Baylor is 7-1 and one on the year. Baylor is a six-point favorite in that game. Um, let's go to that Big Ten matchup, though. Penn State, a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home. I don't know if you've watched Maryland at all this year. They were really impressive against Indiana. I think it was middle of the week and then had to come from behind to win their game on Saturday. Let's ride with the undefeated Maryland Terrapins at the Bryce Jordan Center tonight in uh, in College Park, University Park, Pennsylvania. Maryland getting one and a half points. We'll say wrong team favored. May, uh, Maryland wins it straight up tonight um, against Penn State. By the way, last week when I did that, kind of went outside of our footprint a little bit and said, oh, Virginia getting points on the road against Purdue. Let's take Virginia, wrong team favored. They ended up losing by 26. So proceed with caution. But uh, we'll take Maryland getting one and a half tonight at Penn State to try and get to 11-0 on the year. That's your Pearl River Resort pick of the day brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. If you are in the neighborhood, stop by, visit them at the Sportsbook. Really cool place to watch games. You can wager on games. You've got the gaming floor at uh, the Golden Moon. I don't know that today is a very good golf day. You'd have to be awfully diehard to uh, jump out at uh, a Dancing Rabbit today. But uh, we've got some good weather breaks over the uh, the next couple of months uh, and always a good time there in uh, in Philadelphia at the Golden Moon and Pearl River Resort. It's kind of like the day... Uh... Cop- Last time I played out there, the the day before my wedding, we got. I mean, it was light rain and even colder than this, at least in our area. And we walked into the clubhouse and said, "You know, hey, we're you know we're here to play." And they looked at us and they went, "Wait, really? <laughs> for real? Yeah, for real? For and it was, real? It was not fun. The course was great, especially for this time of year. But it was thirty nine degrees." And raining a little bit, but uh, I wanted to play golf before my wedding, so, you know, damn it, I played golf. We'll do some college football stuff. Uh, it be a very college football-centric 5 o'clock hour today. The college football fix is coming your way in just a few minutes. SEC first and second teams released today. First team offense and defense, second team offense and defense. Got some, uh, some Mississippi guys that are named on these teams. So we'll get to that. We'll also take a look at uh, the top 150 coaches of all time as released by ESPN as part of the celebration of 150 years of college football and a pretty good year at the cash register in terms of concessions for LSU. We'll look at that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. The snowman. Just after 5 o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Shows brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi, yeah, it's cold outside. Maybe it's even snowing on you today, but you know that it'll be time to plant crops before long. It's just around the corner. You've got to get all your financial pieces lined up. Maybe you've got to have some new equipment for the coming year. Maybe uh, it's production loans that you need. Maybe you're going to buy a new piece of land and kind of enlarge the size of the farm. Or maybe you just need to refinance an existing loan. Mississippi Land Bank can help with all of those things and more. They understand the farming business. Many of them are in the farming business, and they're great people to work with. 
You can find a branch location near you. You can also go to their website, grab a phone number, give them a call, and talk to them about your needs. Mississippi Land Bank, they've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. That's why we say Mississippi Land Bank knows the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Tuesday afternoon. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out about all that you can save on Ford trucks and SUVs during this holiday season. It's kind of the holiday sales event, year-end sales event happening at Ford. Great savings, including up to 20% off MSRP on Ford's SUVs and trucks. That means the F-150, uh, the Super Duty, maybe it's that really cool Ranger pickup truck. I drove one of those last week uh, as my rental car when I was uh, at South Carolina. That's a fantastic pickup truck. I've loved how they look. Uh, first time I've gotten behind the wheel of one, and uh, certainly is worth uh, worth checking out if you're in the market for a new truck, or maybe it's an SUV, the Explorer or the Edge, which is a crossover, or the, uh, the Great Expedition, really a good family vehicle. Check out all of that and more at your local Mississippi Ford dealers today. SEC released its first and second team all-conference squads uh, earlier today. Take a look at uh, all of those. Uh, does anybody want to take a, uh, a guess as to who the quarterback was? Yeah, I didn't think so. Jake Fromm. Uh, say, say again, Borky? Jake Fromm. It was not Jake Fromm. Oh. It was uh, decidedly not Jake Fromm. So First team close. offense, tight end Kyle Pitts from Florida, who is the leading tight end catcher or pass receiver in the SEC this year. Offensive lineman Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Jedrick Willis Jr. from Alabama. Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Trey Smith from Tennessee. And what a cool comeback story for Trey Smith. You know, a year ago, question marks as to whether or not he ever would even play football again. Not only does he come back and play, he plays at a really high level and his first team All-SEC this year for the Volunteers. Lloyd Cushenberry as the center for LSU. Wide receivers, one from Alabama, one from LSU. Jerry Judy from Alabama, Jamar Chase from LSU. As expected, Joe Burrow is the first-team All-SEC quarterback. Two first-team All-SEC running backs, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and DeAndre Swift from LSU and Georgia, respectively. And the all-purpose player, Yeah, you want to talk about no debate. It's almost like you could say there's less debate about this than there would be about Joe Burrow as the quarterback. Lynn Bowden from Kentucky, who has announced that he is foregoing his senior season and will be going to the NFL draft next year. The next Lamar Jackson. Yeah, but he doesn't throw it as well. I mean, Lamar Jackson's <laughs> got big-time arm talent. Oh, yeah, I'm just kidding. It's still unbelievable what he was able to do. I was on the radio with uh, the guys from Three Men Front today, and they were kind of talking a little bit about this and thinking about a comparison. I mentioned Randall Cobb. I mean, Randall Cobb, who was a quarterback at Kentucky but also played some wide receiver in the NFL, he's done a little bit of everything. He's been a big-time special teams player. He's been a kick returner, a punt returner, a go-to wide receiver. Has, I think, lined up at running back some in the NFL. feel like that's, in some ways, maybe not quite as thick or quite as strong as, uh, as Randall Cobb is, but maybe a reasonable comparison for Lynn Bowden. First-team defense on the defensive line, Derek Brown from Auburn, Marlon Davidson from Auburn, 
Jonathan Greenard from Florida, and Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina. First-team linebackers, Anthony Jennings from Alabama, Clavon Chason from LSU, and Nick Bolton from Missouri. Defensive backs, J.R. Reed from Georgia. Grant Delpit from LSU, who did not have as good a season as some people thought he was going to. Dealt with some injuries throughout the year. Xavier McKinney from Alabama and C.J. Henderson from Florida. Your first-team place kicker, Hot Rod Blankenship from Georgia, Rodrigo Blankenship, Braden Mann, who I think has been at Texas A&M for 17 years now, and Jalen Waddell Waddell or Waddle? Waddle. Waddle. Why do I always do that? Jalen Waddle from Alabama as the return specialist, first-team All-SEC. Second team group, that's where you've got some uh, guys from the state of Mississippi. The second team tight end, Albert Okwugbanam from Missouri. The offensive lineman, Logan Stenberg from Kentucky. Adrian McGee from LSU. Prince Tego Winogo at Auburn and Damian Lewis at LSU. Landon Dickerson, the center for Alabama, second team offense. Second team wide receivers. Devontae Smith from Alabama, Brian Edwards from South Carolina. That means no Justin Jefferson, no Jalen Waddle, no Henry Ruggs. I, I got no problem at all with Devontae Smith. How's Justin Jefferson not make second team All SEC? Voter fraud. Brian Edwards was. Do what? I said voter fraud. Oh, maybe. Tua Tagovailoa, the second-team All-SEC quarterback. Kylan Hill, who was the leading rusher in the SEC, is named second-team running back. We talked about that last week. You, you could see it coming from a mile away. Probably should have been first-team based on the numbers. But how are you going to knock DeAndre Swift or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire off the first-team group of running backs? Najee Harris, also from Alabama, second-team running back, and uh, Jalen Waddell, the all-purpose second-team player. Defensive side, Raquan Davis from Alabama. Mississippi State's Benito, or excuse me, Ole Miss's Benito Jones on the defensive line. Rashard Lawrence from LSU, Tyler Clark from Georgia. The linebackers, Daniel Batuli from Tennessee, K.J. Britt from Auburn, and Terrell Lewis from Alabama. Defensive back, Derek Stingley. Freshman makes second team All SEC. My question is though, should he have been first team All SEC? I guess that's a, a reasonable debate, and he'll certainly have some first team honors coming up. He'll be preseason first team All SEC next year. Trayvon Diggs at Alabama, Nigel Warrior from Tennessee, and Jacoby Stevens from LSU. And then the second team special teams, Brent Samaglia at Tennessee is the place kicker. Max Duffy at Kentucky as the punter. Jerrion Ely as the return specialist, and he was a group of uh, five guys that tied for return specialist, second-team All-SEC. So you had Jerrion Ely, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU, Christian Tutt from Auburn, and Marquez Callaway from Tennessee all fall into that second-team All-SEC return specialist. All right, so that was a bunch of names, obviously. Three from the state of Mississippi. Kylan Hill is the second-team running back. Benito Jones is a second-team defensive lineman. And Jerry Ely is a second-team uh, return specialist. 
Is there anything that stands out to you? Anything that you you disagree with on those groups? Jake Fromm not making it unbelievable. Come on, Borky. I told you at the beginning of the season he wasn't not any good, but you told me that Georgia let the wrong quarterback go, and you were right. Yeah, I'm curious about next year with Georgia and Kirby Smart, but that's not the conversation right now. I think that's an interesting year coming up for them because they've just gotten there, but once they get there, just can't get it done. And Saturday was especially just ugly. I mean, the worst SEC championship loss ever? Well, so much of the conversation going in was that it's the best defense that LSU's faced all season long. What was the final score? 37-10, 37-10, Georgia had a sad touchdown at the end of it, right? I think that's right. Well, I kept saying last week, yeah, but on the best defense that LSU's faced this year, yeah. and the but was this is by far the best offense that Georgia's faced all year. And it's like people didn't really want to focus on that. Cam Newton and Auburn beat South Carolina 56-17 in 2010. Okay. I was at that game, and it was, whew. South Carolina fans were excited to be there for a little while. Considering the point differential and how dominant they were, I mean, where does this LSU team fall in the conversation of best ever in SEC play? Hmm. Probably got to see how they finish out the year. That, that conversation becomes more relevant if they win a playoff game and they win the national championship. And then you start looking. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Not great news if you're a New Orleans Saints fan. Quinn sent us the link to this story just, uh, just came out 10 minutes or so ago. New Orleans Saints defensive end Marcus Davenport suffered a significant foot injury on Sunday and is expected to undergo season-ending surgery. That is according to Tom Pelissero and Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Davenport had posted six sacks through 13 games in his second year in the league. Borky, how big of a deal is this? It's massive, especially when you're struggling in the secondary. It's really good when you have your pass rush get depleted by injury. Um, he's been coming on. If you remember, he's a guy that they gave up a first-round pick to move up to get. The reporting was always that they gave up two first-round picks. No, they just gave up one. But still, he was finally showing that he was worthy of them doing that, really coming along. He's so physical, and he he added uh, some finesse moves as well. And then now, right as you really think he's about to peak, he gets hurt. It's a shame because he was having, as you said, six sacks, but he was playing better than six sacks indicate it sucks for a team that needs pass rush because they're awful in the secondary right now. And it's not just San Francisco. I mean, Kyle Allen lit them up. Matt Ryan lit them up. I mean, they have problems back there, and now they're missing a physical dominant presence on the defensive line. It's not good at all. Robbie Ashford just decommitted from Ole Miss. Really? Yes. That's concerning, isn't it? I mean, I guess you still have three freshman, four freshman quarterbacks technically. I guess now, 
Matt Corral, John Rice Plumley, Grant Tisdale, and Kincaid Dent. Two sophomores, two freshmen now, right? You would think. Why would Tisdale and Dent not redshirt? Well, yeah, I mean they both would. Yeah, I was just trying to be clerically correct there after I said four freshmen. So you'd have a redshirt going into next year. You would have a redshirt sophomore, a true sophomore, and two redshirt freshmen. Assuming they all come back. Correct. Tisdale back. I guess door's still open on Corral. Alabama's made a little bit of a run at Robbie Ashford, haven't they? You can play two sports at Alabama. Had a linebacker that did it. Which is, you know, different different deal, obviously. Robbie Ashford committed to Ole Miss a lot. Excuse me, a while back. His offer list was massive. Dual threat quarterback, 6'2", 204 pounds out of Hoover. Banged up early in the year. I mean, who's who in terms of offers? Ole Miss, where he was committed. Auburn, Colorado, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Illinois, Louisville, Mississippi State, Missouri, NC State, Oregon, Penn State, Texas A&M, Virginia Tech, this profile says that he did not have an offer from Alabama. All those others he did. That's the uh, 24-7 sports recruiting profile setup. Is there any indication on what Lane Kiffin feels about having a quarterback that plays baseball in the spring? Because that, that's a big... I don't know at this point. It's an interesting storyline going into this spring, right? Is is how available will John Rice Plumley be? And now you've got Grant Tisdale coming back, and I mean, no news on Corral yet, but still, it's it's almost as if this thing's going to be an open competition. And I just wonder how a new coach like him feels about implementing a new system in the spring and not having a quarterback there, and if that if he cares or if he doesn't care. He may very well not. May not bother him at all, but. That's something that I would like to know, and we may never find out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would certainly be surprised, maybe even shocked, if John Rice Plumley didn't play baseball this spring. What does that mean going forward? I don't know. Because it's going to be a competition. It's not like Lane Kiffin's walking in and, that's my starting quarterback right there. All right, so let's let's play that out for a second. Because just because John Rice Plumley is playing baseball this spring does not mean that he will not go through the majority of spring practice with football as well. That was a popular internet sentiment what? when I wrote about that. He won't be at spring practice. He'll be at baseball. It's like, well, there are no rules against that. Like, no, that, I don't know where you're getting that from. I mean, the the, the story was out there and. I kind of dug on it a little bit because I was supposed to do one of their games a couple of years ago when Oklahoma played at TCU, but talked um, with Oklahoma's baseball coach about it extensively, and when Kyler Murray was there, he did both. He was going to be the starter in football the following year, and so he went through a full spring practice, but was also the starting center fielder on that baseball team. So He seems to be equipped to handle practicing for both. I think it's what he's done his entire life. All right, so 
that still doesn't answer my question, handicap, though, right? Is is one that again I don't think will get answered. But how do you think his coach feels about it? I, I, who knows? I, I don't think he's been asked about that publicly at this point. I think we're going to get a chance in the the coming days to visit with Lane Kiffin. It's probably something that we should ask. Have you ever had a quarterback that played two sports? How do you feel about balancing those two things? I don't know what he'll say. Mike could introduce Mike to analytics. <laughs> Maybe so. Um. So to your point just a second ago, Borky, it will be a competition. You're going to have four quarterbacks, and we'll see what happens with Robbie Ashford. I mean, based on decommitting at this point in the process, either – he wants a little more time to think about it, or he's changed his mind and has decided to do something else. I, I I don't know. We'll see. But how do you handicap the quarterback race? I mean, John Rice Plumley ultimately ended up with a job, but that was in a Rich Rodriguez offense this year. There were issues throwing the ball down the field. Some of that was offensive philosophy. They didn't throw the ball down the field. Yeah, not very often, did they? Not unless Matt Corral came into the game. Matt Corral at times looked good. He has a huge arm, but he was inconsistent also. I mean, when you watch Matt Corral play, he would make two or three really, really, really good throws, and then he'd bounce a couple. Like a freshman. Almost. And then Grant Tisdale, if indeed he's coming back, he's coming back because he thinks he's got a shot to win the job with a clean slate and a new coach and a different offense. I mean, if Grant Tisdale didn't believe there was a chance that he could win the job, he probably still would be moving on. So how do you handicap the quarterback race? You've been around it, Rippy. I don't think you can at this point. I don't know what he prefers. Probably a slight edge to Corral over Tisdale, and then I don't really know with Plumlee. What do you think, Borky? Kiffin's going to throw the ball down the field and stand in the pocket more. Agreed. He's not going to do any of that. He's going to require his quarterback to do that. There will be no, hey, let's eliminate one side of the field and throw it six yards towards the sideline. Please don't spike it into the ground type of deal. Sorry, go ahead, Borky. Oh, no. Uh, I think for some reason I have a feeling that it's going to be Tisdale. I know we've had limited action and. I certainly don't get to go to practice like you guys do, but in the very limited time that you've seen him publicly in spring ball and the very limited game action, he looks extremely polished. His footwork looks good. His mechanics look good. There's no wasted motion, and the few passes you've seen him throw are very accurate. And maybe there's a reason that he was not even in the conversation to play last year. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a reason that Matt Corral was the guy, but... Man, in the very limited action that us outsiders have been able to see, he looks like he has got the potential of being like a 3,500-yard passer next season under the right system. Brian on the C Spire text line says, if Plumlee wants to play baseball, he will, no matter what the new coach says. That's from Brian in Clarksdale. C Spire text line is open to you. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Do you want the perfect Christmas gift for everyone on your list? C Spire has you covered. Get uh, uh, offers like your choice of top smartphone, free with a trade-in, 
a free line of unlimited for a year when you switch two lines and more. That means you can switch two lines to the C Spire network, which is now faster than ever, and get one of the most popular new devices free for each line, featuring a better camera and longer battery life. C Spire has tons of inspired gift ideas for you, waiting for you. So be sure to check out cspire.com slash Christmas for more. C Spire, customer inspired. I'm not sure it's as straightforward as, well, Plumlee will do whatever he wants to do. Who cares what the coach says? But I think John Rice Plumlee and Lane Kiffin will sit down and they'll talk about goals and future and plans, and Lane Kiffin will be real honest with him about what he expects and what it's going to take to be a quarterback for him. And John Rice Plumlee will have to be really honest with Lane Kiffin about what he wants out of his time in college. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. you walk down the street, Tomorrow, the JT Show will be live from Stone's Jewelry in Tupelo. Come ignite magical Christmas savings with discounts throughout the entire store. Bring a gift or monetary donation for Sanctuary Hospice House, such as gift cards, blankets, fuzzy socks, chapsticks, lotions, crossword puzzles, canned goods, snacks, paper, or nutritional supplements and be entered to win a prize each hour from Stone's Jewelry and Super Talk Mississippi. Those are just ideas, uh, but a gift or monetary donation for Sanctuary Hospice House, who does great work there in the uh, Tupelo area, and you'll be entered to win a prize each hour that JT is on the radio tomorrow from Stone's Jewelry and Super Talk Mississippi. And then on Friday, catch the JT Show at Corner Market Food Store in Midtown Hattiesburg for the annual Corner Market Super Talk Mississippi Christmas Toy and Food Drive. It will benefit Homes for Hope and Batson's Children Hospital. You can drop off your toy or canned food donation at the Corner Market on Friday and pick up some great Super Talk Mississippi swag. Special event to help kids in need, so please make plans to come uh, see JT and the crew with a toy or canned food. This year's Christmas Drive, sponsored by Corner Market Food Stores, Citizens Bank, Warren & Warren Asphalt, and Bacoma Casino. So all of that coming up uh, a little bit later this week. Mm, where do we want to go now? Oh, this this top 150 list of all time. ESPN, as part of the celebration of the 150 years of college football, has put together its top 150 coaches of all time. Number one on the list... Paul Bear Bryant, 323 uh, career wins, 85 losses, 17 ties. Obviously coached in an era where a tie was a big part. He coached at Maryland, went 6-2-1 in one season at Maryland. Spent seven years at Kentucky, 60-23-5, four seasons at Texas A&M, and then had the long run at Alabama from 1958 through 1982. 232 wins, 46 losses, and nine ties. Two national championships in Alabama in the 60s, playing one platoon football. Three more in the 70s, playing multiple platoons. Waves of players on each side of the ball. He won throwing the ball. He won running the ball. As the Texas philosopher and football coach Bum Phillips, a one-time Paul Bryant assistant at A&M, said, he could take his and beat Yearn, and he could take Yearn and beat Hisen. Also, John Rothstein, that's what he says about Kermit Davis. That's his Kermit Davisism. Really? 
Well, yeah, he used to have two. It's Kermit Davis doing Kermit Davis things. The other one is his, he'll take his and beat yours and beat yours with his. So Bear Bryant, number one on the all-time list. Number two on the all-time list, current coach at Alabama, Nick Saban. 242 wins, 65 losses, and one tie. 9-2 and two in one year at Toledo, Michigan State from 1995 through 99. It's 10 games above 500 there. Won a national championship at LSU, going 48-16 and 16 from 2000 to 2004. And since 2007 has been the head coach at Alabama, 151 wins, 23 losses. The write-up from ESPN says Saban didn't start out as the greatest coach in the past 50 years. He won at Toledo and Michigan State, but not enough to win a conference title. Came to LSU with the reputation of not staying anywhere too long. In five seasons, he won LSU's first national title in 45 years, then left for the NFL, but only for two years before returning to the college game at LSU's SEC West rival Alabama. The clock began ticking until he would leave again, but after 13 seasons, five national championships, and the most successful run in the modern game, that clock is still ticking. Joe Paterno, 409 career wins, is listed at number seven all-time. Dabo Sweeney, listed at number 31 all-time, 129 wins and 30 losses. Clemson's wide receivers coach was named interim head coach after Tommy Bowden resigned six games into the 2008 season. Bit of a surprising pick to replace Bowden after that year. And it says he then awakened a once-dormant program not long after. The Tigers won a national championship in 16 and 18 and don't seem ready to slow down anytime soon. I know he's hasn't had kinda... the length of the career, but him being behind Bob Stoops is interesting, isn't it? Whose career would you take? If you're a fan of a program... You can have Bob Stoops' career or Dabo's last 11 years. So Stoops won one national championship. That was in 2000. And he played for three others? Is that right? Bob Stoops did it over a long period of time. 17 years. Dabo's on 11. Hmm. Dabo Sweeney will continue to climb up this list. Daryl K. Royal at number 38 on the all-time list. Two seasons at Mississippi State where he went 12-8. and Then coached for a year at at Washington. Went 5-5 before getting the Texas job. Winning 167 games between 1957 and 1976. When Daryl K. Royal was once asked if he might ever switch his offense to a passing attack, he famously said, you got to dance with the one who brung you. Architect of the wishbone offense, always believed in a strong running game. Three national titles, 1963, 1969, and 1970. In 20 years at Texas, Royals teams never had a losing record, including a stretch where they won 30 consecutive games. Johnny Vaught is at number 44 on the all-time list of top 150 coaches from ESPN. 1947 to 1970, and then again in 1973. In a quarter century as the Ole Miss coach, Vaught guided the Rebels to six SEC championships and 18 bowl games. Ole Miss has not won an SEC title since. From 1959 to 1962, Ole Miss finished in the top five of the final polls. 
1962 team went 10-0 and beat Arkansas and the Sugar Bowl in a time when Ole Miss was mired in the middle of the Civil Rights Movement. Had a winning record against Bear Bryant, 7-6-1, and and never lost to Frank Broyles at Arkansas. Ole Miss and Arkansas played each other regularly at the time uh, when Arkansas was still part of the Southwest Conference. Urban Meyer at number 46 on the list. Stops at Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, and Ohio State. 187 wins and just 32 losses. 17-6 and in two years at Bowling Green. 22-2 and in two years at Utah. 65-15 and in six seasons at Florida. Seven seasons at Ohio State, 83-9. and See, whose career would you rather have? Urban Myers or Bob Stoops? What? Three national championships. Mm-hmm. Two at Florida, one at Ohio State. Brought Utah to prominence. I See, one you skipped over. Yeah, Urban Myers is a better coach than Bob Stoops. Yeah. And maybe the, the scandal is the, the scandal, the multiple scandals, is why he's not looked at favorably. But this is the same list that had Joe Paterno at number seven. So I don't know how much you can yeah. take that into account. And he only won one national title himself in four decades of coaching. How about John Merritt on this list? Number 71. That may not be a name that rings a bell or is just top of mind for you. 235 wins. From 1952 to 1962, he was the head coach at Jackson State. 63-37 and 37 with five ties. And went on to Tennessee State after that. Coached there from 1963 until 1983 where he won 172 games. Big John Merritt, one of the most accomplished HBCU coaches ever, winning seven black college national championships. From 1955 until his death in 1983, his teams had 29 consecutive winning seasons. He he coached Ed Tutal-Jones, Claude Humphrey, and Richard Dent. Some players. Jackie Sherrill at number 116 on the list. In 1976, he went 3-8 and at Washington State. It's only there one year. After that, he went to Pittsburgh. From 1977 to 1981, Jackie Sherrill's teams lost only nine games. 50 wins, nine losses, and one tie. From 1982 to 1988, he was at Texas A&M. 52 wins, 28 losses, and a tie. And finished his career at Mississippi State. 1991 through 2003, where he was an even 500. 75 wins, 75 losses, and two ties. Jackie Sherrill won two national championships as a player under Bear Bryant at Alabama. 26 years as a head coach. Six times his teams finished in the top 10 of the AP poll. Three straight 11-win seasons at Pittsburgh, including a 1981 season in which they won the Sugar Bowl over Georgia. Three Southwest Conference titles at Texas A&M. Cotton Bowl appearances, 85, 86, and 87, and led Mississippi State to their only ever appearance in the SEC championship game. Jackie Sherrill, part of the top 150 list from ESPN at number 160. Interesting list, and certainly one that opens up for a lot of debate. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.